0: Well, with that, I would I get the privilege of introducing our speaker for the evening. So Reverend Date M is the director of Faith Leadership Strategies for Faith in Action, a faith-based community organizing network which galvanizes people of faith to build power to reshape their lives and their communities. As director of Faith Leadership Strategies, Date. Leads the team to fulfill its vision to liberate people of faith and moral courage from the shackles and logic of white Christian patriarchy, and its mission to catalyze a multi faith, multi racial solidarity movement that reimagines a beloved community rooted in dignity, abundance, belonging, uh, and belonging. Prior to community organizing date was the executive pastor of Jacobswell Church, a non-denominational evangelical congregation in Kansas City. He was also the director of quality and performance improvement for YouthNet uh, of Greater Kansas City. He has worked in the nonprofit sector in the fields of youth development, race training, and and building inclusive communities since 1989. with a BA in political science and an MA in theology. Date's professional experience has centered on organizational development, large and small group facilitation, instructional design, curriculum development, performance improvement, strategies, engaging urban social systems and seeking justice through an anti-racist perspective. Date's greatest joy in life is being a loving and engaged dad to his three daughters, Imani, Verena, and Kairos, and he is slowly realizing how to do this on their terms. Thanks so much, Date, for um, for being willing to share with us, and at that, I will hand it over to you.
1: Thank you, Reverend Latia. Thank you, Open Table, for the invitation. Um, it is good to see several of you. Thank you, Joe, for uh, joining. I, I just want to note that um, that that I gotta praise the Lord from Joe. Like I don't know how often that happens at Open Table, but that that that's a thing. So um, it it is an honor and a pleasure to be with you. I, I was just saying for for those of you who don't know, I'm like three doors down from Sarah right now. I should just be sitting in her living room um, and, and with her background. So um, I'm really aware of the uh, amazing things that you all are doing as a community of gathered folks. And so um, it, it's I, I I appreciate the invitation. Um, and, and I apologize for the the lengthy bio. I'm, I'm gonna have to figure out how to cut that down. That like was like 10 minutes of, of my speaking time right there. Um, What I'd like to do is I'm going to share my screen, and I'm going to jump right into our text, and um, the text for today is Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 6, so I just um, want to take a moment to uh, read the text, and then we will move from there. So Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 6, the hand of the Lord came upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, "O oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. For many of us, this passage may be a familiar one. The Valley of the Dry Bones. Here's what I'm aware of. We don't have to look very far
2: to find evidence of dry bones around us. We are coming out of a worldwide pandemic. There are 33.1 million cases of COVID
1: that were reported in the U.S. Of those cases, 589,000 reported de- uh There were 589,000 reported deaths. I want to emphasize reported. There's a new study out of the University of Washington that, that estimates that the closer toll is about 900,000 that is uh, COVID or COVID related. And then worldwide, it's 3.2 million, two four million, with an estimated by the same University of
2: Washington study uh, that it might be closer to 7 million. Valley of the dry bones. We're also a politically divided country.
1: Whether you identify as Republican or Democrat determines how you see the world. It determines whether you'll wear a mask in public. It determines whether you'll get vaccinated. Being Republican or Democrat determines who you believe won the presidential election or what your understanding is of what happened on January 6th in the Capitol. For instance, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin termed January 6th as largely a peaceful protest. There are dry bones all around us.
2: But you don't need me to tell you that. And I
1: wonder in this moment, if in the chat box or if for some of you who are brave enough to unmute yourselves and just like, what are some examples of dry bones around you? Who has some examples of dry bones?
0: I would say the over, um, the, you know, I can't think of the word, but overcrowding the prison systems with black and brown bodies.
1: Yes. The overcrowding of our prison systems with black and brown bodies, mass mass incarceration. incarceration. Yes. Other examples of dry bones that you see around you.
3: There are people who are not wanting to admit the uh, tragedy of uh, January 6th. They don't want to call it what it was.
1: Not wanting to admit the tragedy of January 6th, trying to move past it. How about one more from this group? What dry bones do you see around you?
3: I think the um, empty and abandoned lots, the uninhabitable buildings um, that kind of sprinkle the east side in particular and the consequences of that for this community, those are dry bones.
1: Yeah, the abandonment of buildings and then the cost of the abandonment of buildings on a community, particularly when it's located on that particular side. Megan, I'm going to pick up on what you're saying here. Can I talk a little bit about health and wealth disparity? But let me localize it. If you live in zip code 64113, life expectancy is 80 to 84 years, and your average income is $122,237. dollars mm-hmm. Yet, if you live in zip code 64130, life expectancy is 70 to 72 years. The average income is $27,525. Those two zip codes are four miles apart. Hmm. Four miles determines 14 years of your life expectancy. Dry bones. You all already mentioned this. Israel and Palestine. Their land claimed to the same land. They have a fundamental belief that the land is rooted in their faith. In 1967, the, after the war, Israel was in control of the West End and the Gaza Strip, two territories that are home to large Palestinian populations. Today, the West Bank is nominally controlled by the Palestinian Authority and is under Israeli occupation. Gaza is controlled by Hamas, an Islamist fundamentalist party and is under Israeli blockade. Dry bones. And then we have over the last year, police shootings. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Dante Wright, Adam Toledo, Makia Bryant, all black people killed at the hands of police dry bones. And then over the course of this last year, we've had a rising incidence of Asian hate. So whether they were the killings of folks who worked in massage parlors in Atlanta, or the killings of of, uh, uh, Sikh people who in Indianapolis, we have incidents of folks who are Asian or who identify as Asian. They have been physically attacked, they've been spit on, and they've been told to go home. You see, all around us, we have evidence of dry bones. This is not just about something that is in our sacred text. We live it, and we breathe it, and we see it. And in the midst of this, you at Open Table are asking, is there evidence of hope? My answer is, if there's hope, you really have to squint to see it. So, in order to take this question on a little more fully, I need to spend a little bit of time telling you my immigration story. This is a picture of um, uh, uh, to my left or to, uh, to our left. That's my stepmom, Sarup. And then you can see next to her is my oldest daughter, Imani. She's probably three in this picture, she's now 18. And then um, the the uh, person sitting next to Imani is my daughter Verena, who for whatever reason has the mark of the beast on her forehead. That is not um, what she looks like, and I don't know what happened to the picture. But she would be mortified if I showed this, and yet I continue to show it. She was about one and a half here. Uh, no, no, she was about actually about six months. Sorry. And then the person holding Verena is my dad, So Pam. I bring this picture up because my dad, Sopan, is actually at the central part of my immigration story. So in 1973, my dad was working as a part of a delegation to the United Nations because he had received scholarships to study um, for his undergraduate at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. And then um, to do his master's, he did it at Ohio State University. And in order to pay back the Cambodian government, he then, Uh, He he then had to kind of give give his time back in service. And so he was working at the UN. But part of what I want to say to you as a result of that is that my dad, at that point, he saw that there was political turmoil that was happening in Cambodia. And so he called my mother And he said, I want you to bring, um, I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to look for a job here, apply for a visa, and I want you to bring the boys, I want you and the boys to come over, and we're going to try to make a way here. So in 1973, in October of 1973, my mom, with two young boys three and a half and one and a half, comes over and joins my dad, leaves her whole family behind. But part of what you need to understand is the only reason we were allowed to to immigrate to the United States in 1973 is the result of the 1965 Immigration Act, often also known as the Hart-Seller Act. The Hart-Seller Act was a reaction to the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act. So part of what I want to say to you is in 1882, because there was fear in the United States about the Ch- about Chinese people who were emigrating here, who were taking jobs away from folks who were leaving here, they passed the first time in history, they passed a law that says this group of people from this place cannot come. It's the first time we've ever done that. And then they reauthorized it in 1892, and then in 1920, and we put quotas on the number of people who could come from South and East Asia to be zero. And in 1965, the Heart Cellar Act lifted the, that quota system. It also then allowed people with specific skills, so my dad was a trained chemist, to then come to the States. So we're here as a result of the Heart Seller Act.
2: And growing up, I had a deep love for the United States.
1: I went all out. On July 4th, you would see me waving the banners, and I was incredibly patriotic. And I did all of those things because it was very clear in my mind that this country, the United States, was actually a sanctuary. It was literally a sanctuary for my dad, for my
2: mom, for my brother, and then also for my mom's side of the family. If it wasn't for the United States taking us in, my dad and mom would have died in the war. And then I read this quote from Kathy Park Hong. Whether our families
1: come from Guatemala, Afghanistan, or South Korea, the immigrants since 1965 have shared histories that extend beyond this nation to our countries of origin, where our lineage has been decimated by Western imperialism, war, and dictatorships, orchestrated or supported by the United States in our efforts to belong in America, we act grateful as if we've been given a second chance at life, but our shared root is not the opportunity this nation has given us, but how the capitalist accumulation of white supremacy has enriched itself off the blood of our countries. We cannot forget this.
2: And the thing that
1: I'm wrestling with then is this, how do I hold that I'm deeply grateful for the United States because it was a haven that saved my immediate family and my extended maternal family. And this same country, the United States involved Cambodia in a war that demanded choosing sides that directly contributed to needing to be saved in the first place.
2: It was the United States was both savior and provocateur. And what do I do with that? And how how do I understand what it means to be a citizen of this country and what
1: it means to be displaced from another place? And how do I have deep love for this country while also
2: now dealing with this new knowledge that I have? You see, if there's hope, you really have to squint
1: to see it. So now I want to return back to our text. Because I think the text has something to say to us in the midst of the fact that we exist and we live and we walk through the Valley of the Dry Bones. If you go back to the text and you look at the text, you'll see that the prophet is brought to the Valley of the Dry Bones by God. And God first asked the question, can these bones live? I mean, I I want you to kind of imagine this for a minute. Like this is the prophet that's walking and sees all of these bones around. And the bones are significant because they represent death all around. Death in really small ways, in very personal ways, and in systemic ways. And I think if we take this text seriously, the thing that we have to understand is that when we are walking through the Valley of the Dry Bones, the first thing we have to do is notice when we're in the valley. The question is, are we aware enough to know that we are going through the Valley of the Dry Bones, or are we just walking as if things are normal, or have we accepted death in such a way, or have we then... uh, have we then numbed ourselves to the death that surrounds us that we're not even aware that we are in the valley
2: of the dry bones? We've got to notice. We've got to notice the death that surrounds us. That's the point of this passage. Is the first note? The question
1: is: can these bones live? Do you notice what's going on? And I hope you understand that noticing that we're in the valley of the dry bones is, it means that we have to recognize that hope is not an additive. See, hope isn't like Coke Zero Sugar, where you manufacture an artificial sweetener, and you add it to an unhealthy product, and then everything becomes better because you've hidden the aftertaste, and you've made it zero calories. That's
2: not a hope worth living for. That's manufactured feel-goodness. And while it may meet the immediate needs of what we crave, while it may make us feel less guilty, that is not hope. And it also has nothing to do with faith. Noticing that we're in the valley of the dry bones acknowledges that those dry Bones are real. Mass incarceration is real. The ending of black and brown lives at the hands of the police is real. Acts of Asian hate are real. Where you live that determines how much money you make and how long you live, that is real.
1: Much like you all Professed and confessed at the beginning of this
2: call, the pain of what's happening in Gaza is real. And the fact that many of us
1: who are on this side of the United States, who look over there and we see what happens on TV, and yet we have no idea what to do, nor do we fully understand all of the ramifications of it, and then not knowing and then just feeling like you're helpless, that is real. My existential crisis about how I understand myself as a Cambodian man living in the United States who is an
2: American citizen who's both proud and then also doesn't know what to do with that pride, that is real. Acknowledging the valley of the dry bones is being real
1: means that we cannot manufacture easy or formulaic responses. The resurrection does not mean that we have easy answers. It means that we acknowledge the realness of the pain and when we're
2: walking through the valley. It also means that we have to take the time to notice and to deeply question and to lament. I believe that God welcomes the times when we cry out. And lament is both personal and communal. It's this idea that God,
1: I don't know. It may even be this idea that God, I'm really angry, not just that the conditions here, but that somehow you're supposed to be God, and that does not make sense to me. Because if we notice and we admit that it's real, if we take the time to question and lament, what that means is that we locate ourselves in the valley of the dry bones. And that's what the prophet is asking us to do.
2: Not to avoid the bones, not to turn our heads away, not to close our eyes, but it's to take the time to locate ourselves right there. And if we can do that, then when we can squint, we
1: might be able to see hope. We're not there yet, but we might be
2: able to see it because if we can locate ourselves in the place where we actually need God, we bring ourselves to the place to also understand that the answers aren't fully within our control. And this passage in Ezekiel, yes, starts with the valley of the dry bones, but then it moves to breath. The breath of God. The Hebrew word used in this text
1: is ruach. Ruach is often translated the spirit of God. Breath and spirit are used interchangeably and the imagery though is that it's God animating life in us and so when God says to the prophet "Prophesy that these bones may live that there may be breath in them the idea is that they can live if the prophet acknowledges that 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 he is there that that
2: the bones can live if God animates them. This ruach, it's the same word found in Genesis
1: 1-2, when the image is of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters before waiting for creation to happen. So in the text, it talks about the bones living, and it's talking about sinews, and it's talking about skin, and it's, that's, what, that's what then life looks like, because when we see life, we see and we know about those things, but behind all of that is breath, and I think what the text is actually starting to ask us is what animates the dryness that surrounds you? What is it that animates you so that you don't have to just live in the midst of the dryness? You may be surrounded by it and you may acknowledge it, but what's the way, what's the thing that animates you? What animates that thing? What gives it life? What breathes newness and freshness? And let me just say in the small group that I was in, that's not about the church. That's about God being wild and free and breathing life into the things. And frankly, sometimes the church restricts the freedom of
2: God to bring new life into the world. So, what animates you? Can I just offer a couple of three things about animation that we need to keep in mind?
1: Animating life is both noisy and painful, there is a cost to then invoking the animating life of God. Things aren't just as they will be. Later on in in, in that passage in which God breathes life into the bones, the scripture talks about there's a loud clanging and there's gonging and there's this huge noise. Just know that if you have a valley of dry bones and there is life that's breathed into them, it's not gonna be the way it was. There will be a difference. It's gonna be loud. There will be a cost. You cannot return to old life. The old life that killed those bones cannot be the thing that we return to when we breathe new life into them, the animating act of God in the world will require us to see things and do things in new ways. Animating life is risky. It's going to require us as people who
2: listen to the Spirit to do things differently perhaps do things against what we've been taught, to try new things. We've got to be willing to make mistakes, take risks. We've got to be willing
1: to understand that animating life sometimes comes in movements and the breath of God, while it breathes life into those bones, those bones may not quite be ready to walk. Maybe the first thing the bones do is just stand. Animating life may require us to take steps that we're unsure of, to walk beyond the things that we know we want to do, to make mistakes and come
2: back and say, like, I really f that up, I'm sorry. Animating life is not about not making mistakes. It's about believing in new life. One more verse into the, the passage. God talks about the fact that the wind comes, God, talk, the passage talks about the four winds. That means that animating
1: life is given to all of us and requires all of us. In the prophet's mind, the four winds would be from the north and the south and from the east and the west. This is the prophet's way of saying that animating life, the breath of God, is for all of us, and it requires all of us. There is none of us that can escape the animating life. There is none of us that controls it. It is not just for one people. It is intended for all of us, and it requires the participation of all of us. Our futures and our present are all bound together. New life is the result of being bound together in our struggles and our celebrations.
2: We cannot escape it. So as we walk through the valley of the dry bones and we acknowledge the dryness, then the question becomes, are we also willing to walk into
1: the risk of having the breath of God sweep over us and sweep in us and sweep through the things that were once dead and perhaps are living in
2: ways that are unexpected to us. I was recently talking to my uncle Ty who lives in Paris. And I was telling
1: him that I was doing, uh, that I would be preaching. And I asked him, I was like, what's the Khmaya word for spirit? And he said, the Khmaya word for spirit is vineyan. And he said, but that doesn't quite cover it. It's like, because you have to have feeling in order to have venean. And then
2: this is his, the the quote from him is, in the absence of feeling venean, there would be no spirit. And then he shared with me this phrase in Khmer that says, which means I was so afraid that I almost lost my spirit. I love this from my uncle and here's what I think it means to us.
1: In the Cambodian understanding of spirit, We don't understand the spirit of God simply with our heads. It is not a logic that we're supposed to figure out.
2: Rather, we understand the spirit of God with our hearts and in our gut. So people of open table. I opened with this question. Is there evidence of hope around us? When
1: we're in the midst of the valley of dry bones and we're surrounded by death, there is an opportunity to invoke animating life into that
2: situation. There are risks and there will be costs. But animating life is available to us if we get out of our heads. We allow our passions our feelings, to move us. We understand that God, that we are participants with God in the
1: creation of this spirit, and then we allow that spirit to then bring life to the places that are dead. We cannot outthink the spirit. That's not the way it works. The prophet is laying out a pathway for us that says, are you willing to walk through the valley
2: of dry bones, believing that the spirit can bring life to those bones. Are you willing to risk? Are you willing to make mistakes? Are
1: you willing to bring new life, even when you don't fully know all the answers? Maybe are you willing to bring new life when you don't know any of the answers, but you have a feeling it's the right way and the right thing
2: to do. And we move out of the places where we just think and plot and talk to actually do some things together? It's in this way that animating life of the spirit is available to us. And it's in this
1: way that if we squint, we might be able to see it. It's available to us.
2: Are we willing to open ourselves? Do we believe that the spirit that was in the prophet is the same spirit that's available to us? Is the same spirit willing, waiting, and willing to fill the bones? The dry bones stay dry when we do nothing and we just keep walking by? Will we see, will we feel, will we do? Will we see, will we feel, will we do? That's the challenge for us that's the challenge for open table that's the challenge for the people that you are engaging and the systems that you are interacting with so now may the spirit of god fill
1: us and move us and breathe in us
2: in ways that continue to surprise us
4: amen Um, Yeah, so we are now going to move into some breakout rooms. Thank you for that that sermon and conversation date. We so appreciate that. Um, Yeah, so what are your practices that will allow you to notice when you are in the valley of dry bones? Can you name some of the risks that you are willing to take to avail yourself of animating life? Um, So we will now be hopping into some um, breakout rooms for probably about... 10 to 12 minutes. Um, Day, is there anything you wanted to say before folks kind of head off into their little perspective rooms?
1: Uh, I I think just um, as you think about how to use your time, the, the questions were intended to say, like, what are you doing to notice? Because I think noticing is a cultivated practice. So how are you cultivating this idea of noticing what's going on around you? Um, I think my premise is that Uh, just like we started to talk about, is that the dry bones, we're we're already walking through it. The question is, do we notice it? And then once you talk about those cultivated practices, um, can you name some of the risks that you're willing to take? And and the idea is um, sometimes, so can I say this Uh, because I I deeply uh, admire and care for your community is, but sometimes people of faith and moral courage, spend so much time talking about the right thing and uh, spend so much time wanting to do the right thing that we get lost in the talking and wanting. And we don't take the risk to just we're, we're going to mess up and, and part of the animating life uh, that is available to us pushes us beyond what we're comfortable. and just like, let's take some risks together. So that's that's, that's, that's the purpose of the two questions.
4: Thanks for that date. Okay, we will be heading off then for about, um, I'm going to set up for 12 minutes. And I might call you all back a little bit earlier, just depending on some of our time we have here. So um, enjoyed that breakout room space and Facebook Live, same thing as before, we'll be hanging out with you. Um, And those questions that date just proposed should still be in the chat as well for you if you would want to respond there. Um, And we will make sure we see that Sarah is reading those for us. So thanks, Sarah.
0: I think sometimes it calls us to give up our, for those of us who this is true, uh, a denominational identity, Uh, because sometimes that's the thing that's stopping it. Um,
4: Yeah, I'll I'll stop there.
5: Date, I appreciate the, well, Latia, I hear you, I see you. Um, date, I, I appreciate this conversation so much. I kept thinking about, um, this contrast of the Valley of dry bones versus like, um, you know, people talk about dark night of the soul. And I'm thinking about, um, like we think of dark night of the soul as kind of a deeply like individual experience and sort of this like rite of passage to some spiritual awakening or something like that, which not to like say that's, um, not um a really beautiful and meaningful thing absolutely but like this valley of dry bones feels like it's systemic and communal and you can only notice it when you're in community with people and connected with injustice um and i think that the i'm just thinking like we just got back from a a trip in the in the desert And so actually saw some dry bones and it's like that doesn't just happen accidentally like what you pointed out is like something. Something some force took action that created those dry bones that stripped those bones of their meats of their agency all of that, and so when we come across those dry bones it's not just. um, Like we, in this case, like see see the injustice can address it. And so, um, yeah, I think to your second question, the risks that we're willing to animate life. I think one one risk, I mean, I think that I'm often called to, that's a hard one for me is when it relates to like my well being, whether that's social, economic, related to job stuff. Those are like the risks that I think um, I'm being called to. They're not always the risks I'm willing to take if I'm being honest. Um, but I am surrounded by a community that stretches me in that way. So I think that's, that's going to be key because it's not something I think that we're called to necessarily do on our own, um, by any means. Um, and yeah, yeah. I'll just pause there. Those are just some thoughts that are coming up.
4: That image that you shared, Sarah, of like y'all being on the hikes and seeing, the the carcasses and the dry bones and and even you using the word like agency like in that too um feels really striking and and pertinent um yeah I um this is not necessarily directly answering the questions quite yet I feel like my mind is, is spinning around them still but um when I first started writing poetry so much of it was taking metaphors that I had read in the bible and then like like what I felt like was fleshing them out for myself in so many ways and I I can't even fully remember but I remember I wrote a poem around like the dry bones and there was like another follow-up one that I I've read a lot since then and um and it came up I wrote it in like almost 10 years ago. It's a very old one, but um, it, the, the words came up for me though in um, my therapy certification training about a week and a half ago. And I was like, Oh, that was a thing I wrote 10 years ago and I'd forgotten. And those words still ring true for me. And I don't even know if I necessarily knew what those words meant at the time fully. Like I knew what they meant, but not fully. And the, the one of the lines in that poem is crack your bones and make instruments of them. And this uh, I thinking of like what are you what are the risks that you're willing to take to avail yourself and like in that whole poem the poem's called like, Mechanical Prayers and it's like basically being like why does the church feel like a machine is kind of the, the the larger gist and so thinking about like this idea of like what risk are you willing to take it that image of like cracking your bones to make instruments of them not in this like martyrdom way necessarily but in this like your your body is on the line. Um, and like, what does that mean to have your body on the line f- for life to arrive?
1: Yeah. Th- thanks for uh, all of you. Thanks for that. I, I think, um, Sarah, to your point, Nick, I, I think the worst thing that we can do. So I'll overstate it to make my point is um, to take individual journeys of the soul. Like that doesn't mean we don't. That doesn't mean we don't have them. We have them like I I. I I'm realizing that one of the things I'm experiencing with Imani leaving is I'm having to reconstruct my identity because my identity has been about, like, my daughters and being at the center of, of, of their lives, or at least they are at the center of my life. But that is different than walking through the Valley of the Dry Bones. And part of why we need each other to do that is because we all, like, if the bone, if the dry bones are about mass incarceration, and there, there there are black and brown folks in the room or folks who've been in prison, that means something different. Um, it, it, Sarah, you you know this, you know. It, it, if we're a church that like I love my climate change as well, but if we're a church that's simply kind of connected into the particular neighborhood we lived in, but we don't ever, other than to give money and, and, and do some service project to a particular part of town, we don't understand that that's about dry bones. We just, we see it as, hey, we're, we're doing this thing. And part of the, your to your point, which I think is so important and so lovely is if we don't do the journey together of walking together, then we don't have the analysis that they are dry bones, we then can call it something else. And that's really, really important because we need folks who are targeted and close to the pain to say, "This, these are bones." Like, just to make one other point, it's like we might the value of the dry bones is different than a graveyard because in a graveyard, like things are like they're neat, right? It's been paid for and they are headstones. Like that speaks to this whole orderliness. The value, like. This the prophets is like walking, in there and they're just bones surrounding. And to your point, it's like the meat has been taken, and they've been there a while, and birds have come and scavenged them. Like that's a whole different thing, and the living, like like breathing life into that thing, is much different than this very orderly kind of graveyard in which things are set up and they've been planned that way. So that's super important.
5: Yeah. Thanks for that date. That I. I mean, it makes me wonder, like. I'm almost asking myself the question, like, what is the dry bones then here? Is it the, um, is it like those that injustice have has been served to? Is it those murdered by police? Is it like the actual like the people incarcerated or like is the, you know, is the dry bones like the system? Like, should we see the whole system and like, cause that I don't know. And maybe it's just me taking like a metaphor too literally, but I'm like, oh yeah, if we're looking at like um racism is some dry bones like we're in this valley then it's like i think a lot of people when they encounter those bones like you're saying they want to bury them in this nice neat cemetery when that's not like the reality is we need to like crush those bones break them down let microorganisms do their stuff let vultures do their stuff um yeah but i think a lot of us want to like string those bones up and kind of put them on display and say we put this headstone here and we we see this but that's like yeah bear witness i guess but then just to make a um a spectacle of it or almost as maddie said like kind of be a martyr for it as opposed to like no like deconstruct that shit, like let's work together to do this um And that isn't a solo journey, but I don't. This is good. I love imagery, so thank you for this. Like, (laughs) it's really rich.
1: And I might suggest Sarah, like, part of the challenge for Open Table is so it's all dry bones, right? Um, Massing all the things we listed are dry bones, right? And so you make the analysis. The question is, for Open Table, for the community of Open Table where will be the places that you want to bring, to breathe life into? Like, are you, so it's all dry bones and, and, and you need to make that analysis. But then the question, like, are you, maybe you're not going to do mass incarceration, maybe, because I know you all are committed to anti-racism, but maybe your commitment to anti-racism is to work around education, right? It, 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 education in Kansas City and, 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 and how it looks, or maybe it's around what, whatever the thing is, like, so, understanding what the dry bones is, and like you, the movement for you all is like, but what, where it's the places we're going to breathe life into. Because once you decide that, like, first of all, that's going to be a hard decision, I think. Yeah. And, but then once you approach that, the question is like, you're going to then, as you dig into that issue, you're going to see there are even more bones that are later there of people who have tried it, right? That That's the hard part. Um, just want to encourage you to kind of keep pressing on that to not just do the analysis it's important but then also to say like well, where are we going to stake our claim and that's some of the risk stuff because you're going to get pushback in all kinds of ways and that's why those bones are there is because people haven't made the journey through there like they've died trying yeah
4: this, yeah this is a really this is a really heavy convo uh, like a really like juicy convo like um I think one of the things, even like to back on what you were saying, Sarah, Sarah, is that it's like, is it the system that's oh. a dry bones? You know, what is it? Part of me even thinks about um, thinking about all the people who yeah, aid in the oppression and them also being a part of the dry bones. And like, it's not just the people who are mass mas- incarcerated. In- incarceration but the people who are like working the prisons and like how are they also then like tied up into the system and like have dry bones for their own death inside of it um yeah yeah
0: yeah i think it's hard not to get overwhelmed like standing in the valley and going holy shit and then not knowing what else to do
5: Data, I was going to say something around the, because um, you were talking about like the risk and the pain and like the noisiness of animating. And I'm like, yeah, that's like, I feel that. Um, I also think it's like inherently uh, creative and playful too. If we do it in community, right? Like if we carry this on our own, um, well, like, it's both, it's both, but we have like the support of one another. So I, yeah, just like the playfulness, like there, there's so much risk in not engaging in animation too.
1: So I would just love um, just a, a, around the first question, like what's, how are you all cultivating an awareness of um, knowing that uh, when you're in the valley of the dry bones?
3: Walking in someone else's shoes.
1: Say one more sentence uh, about what you mean by that.
3: Seeing how the other half live and and being uh, pathetic, putting oneself. self. How would I feel if I were there? And I, I I see how I, I don't know how they can make it like this, but uh they are trying to make it and that becomes an awareness for the one who is really making it, and then from there to move on and try to put some meat on those bones.
1: <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Josephine. Other folks, are you how how did you talk about cultivating um this sense of awareness?
5: We said something kind of similar in our group, just uh, being willing to, to listen to other people's stories and really hear um, what people are going through and then um, you know empathize that that really, uh, that really makes a difference in awareness and acknowledgement.
2: And
1: being prepared to understand that the stories that you've heard
5: might not be accurate or the opinions that you've held might not be the ones that are factual.
3: And and Billy said to be non-judgmental.
1: Yeah, I I but I really want to you know times a hundred what you all are saying. I wish I could do the hundred emoji in the, in the chat box. Um, it's so. Josephine, just to start with what you're saying, this idea of putting yourself in someone's shoes, like we, we refer to that as being incarnational. So that's not just listening to somebody and having empathy, but actually understanding. And then stories, we can, as, as human beings, like we, the best thing we can do is listen to stories and then understand that those stories might completely disrupt our way of being, how we thought and, how, and, and what we've been told. So um, Eric, like, yes, yes, yes. Oftentimes I find that people hear stories and be like, well, that can't be true. Well, Then what was the point of listening to them, right? I mean, it's the whole being politically divided. We, we create echo chambers for ourselves. On the right and the left, like I want to be really clear, my critique is for both. Like the left is its own echo chamber. Um, and, and so like it's can we hear something different? And what does that move us to do? So yes, lovely. Sorry, I was getting preachy again, and I already had my preaching time, so I need to stop. <laughs> Can't ever stop a preacher. Um, what, I would love to hear then. Uh, well, Sarah, could you just talk about the communal journey because I think that's really important, but to, particularly as we think about this this community walking together.
5: Did you say my name, date?
1: Yes. Yes,
5: Sarah. <laughs> I was calling <laughs> you out. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. I was saying that, like uh, the. To know you're in the valley of dry bones it's like like the only way that that makes sense to me to really know it is to be doing it in community um and then same with the with the act i guess of of attempting to animate life like doing it um among and not just um individually because i think that's probably our I mean, that, that was kind of the religion I was raised in, is like everything's sort of individual, and then we like come together, but still in our individual spaces and boxes. But like dry bones stuff happens on communal and systemic levels. Um, so it needs to be addressed on communal and systemic levels.
1: Absolutely. One of the things that Sarah said um, in our group, which is that, or that we lifted up out of that, is that part of the community is like, you, the dry bone, like you need to make the assessment together because not everybody recognizes that they're dry bones, right? To, to to your point, Eric, about listening to stories and believing them is like somebody like we need people who are directly closest to the pain saying, uh, there's a valley, there's a valley. Like, I know you've existed for a while and you've been able to, 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 to take 435 around it, but some, some of us have to, to drive through it, right? Sorry, I'm being way too literal here, but, but th- that, that's, that's the power of community. And particularly when we go to scripture, there are very few times that scripture is talking about an individual relationship. Like that, that's not how the Hebrew, particularly in the Old Testament that, or the Hebrew uh, scriptures, that's not how Hebrew folks thought. Like it was always about the community. Um, so uh, I know I'm going over Maddie. So let me ask the second question. Like, I'd love to hear just like, what did you all talk about the kinds of risks that you'd be willing to take together? Like how are y'all gonna throw it down together? That that to me is the question.
5: I did some of that during the election season on Facebook and lost most people that followed me. So, and you know, I don't I don't care. They didn't they don't want to listen, I'll find new friends.
3: <laughs> we did mention the risk of maybe losing friends and family when we try to get them to get on the right, the right page, the right track. Or do what the, what uh, is necessary in order to um, do, have do something about those dry bones. It's a risk for sure. Yeah,
6: I like um, data. You mentioned that you know the animation of the bones is not going to be a quiet, easy, smooth process. You know, and so the personal risks that we take um, when we open our eyes to the dry bones, when we practice noticing them. And, you know, for me, that would have involved, you know, real challenge to my worldview and um, being in my body um, how I see myself, how I perceive, how other people see me, um, and just the real, you know, breaking down of all of that. Which
4: sometimes I'm
6: like, oh, I, I can understand why you wouldn't want to take this risk because it's just not easy. It's it's hard and painful. Like um, when you when when we open our eyes to the dry bones.
1: Thanks, Abhishek. That that's so really important. And and can I just um, if we had more time, part of where I would push a little bit is like, and then tell me like, and you all may not be here as a community yet, but for me, what I'm curious about is like, tell me as open table, as a community of people sojourning together, what are the risks y'all going to take together around some of the the the, um, the 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 bones that you see around you. But to your point, obviously, what I just want to make is the whole point of community and the whole, like the reason why we talk about movements as community is there are seasons of your life where some folks are like, I am on the front lines, I got it, like I'm good. And there are, and then in those seasons, there are other folks who are like, I need to do some background stuff. I'm a part of the movement, but I, 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 I can't be with you for a variety of things right? Like I can do things now. They can do things now that my daughters are teenagers and frankly want me to be around less and less. But there are things that I'm able to do out in public and, and, and take those risks that I could not do when I knew that there was, I just needed to be with them. And, and, but my point around this is like the community, the communal aspect of us doing this together means that there are times where we're more active, and there and there are times where background folks. I mean, Dr. King was really important. You know, he had folks praying for him when he was marching. There is a role. The reason why we do this in communities. So we have. I'm a huge superhero fan. But like we have created, like we want to create all these supermen kinds of things. And that's just, that's a very kind of patriarchal notion. Like we need to do more of thinking about Avengers and Super Friends and Justice League. Like it's together and it's the connection and sharing of gifts and making the journeys together and finding out is I I think I'm exhausted. I cannot
2: do this. And the season of rest is really important and someone picks you up. So all of that is super important.